Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Justin has over 15 years of operating experience with a deep background in information technology management and infrastructure. Currently, Justin is the COO of Drips, a conversational texting platform where he's responsible for growth through implementing relevant processes and systems, in addition to the oversight of the company's ongoing operations and procedures. Prior to his current experience, Justin worked in private equity primarily for technology-focused funds where he served a dual role, sourcing and doing due diligence, as well as serving various CIO, COO operational roles in portfolio companies. Before his time in PE, Justin founded a technology services and consulting company and managed IT infrastructure and operations for banks, hospitals, universities, and other commercial businesses. Justin holds a Bachelor of Science in Business Administration from Northeastern University and an MBA from the University of California, Irvine. Justin, welcome to the Second in Command podcast. It's like I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, to learning a little bit about this. So tell me a little bit about your experience in the, um, I guess, in the PE space and, and kind of what you pulled from that and maybe what you still use today in Drips. Yeah, um, I, I loved the PE space. Um, you know, as I'm sure you can relate to, Experience is everything um, for the most part in, in a role like this, an operations role. Um, so being in a PE space, getting to work in a lot of our portfolio companies, you just get a, a wealth of experience. You know, I would be three, four companies at a time helping out in different roles. So you know, it's just more people you interact with, um, you know, more problems you face, more successes, more wins you have, um, you know, systems, people, processes, all that. Um, it was great. Most of it, like I said, was in technology focus. So actually, that's how I got into PE. Originally, um, came out of the tech world. Um, you know, had a solid business understanding, but was able to kind of blend those two together. And the uh, fund I originally went to work for, they mostly invested in software companies. They took a heavy operational role, so they liked my background and ability to kind of evaluate even like a code level of what software we were buying. Mm. Um, and so that was during the initial diligence phase, and then uh, they started putting me in some of these companies and. Like I said, just the experiences you gain from that have are ones that I have helped me today. Whether it be systems I'm putting in place, um, you know, problems as they come up, obviously employee problems, issues, um, you know, what strategies you want to go with, sales strategies, customer customer problems, all of that are things that I'm able to pull on, um, and also have a network of people to talk to. Uh, again, the alliance is all about right. Have people you can go refer to when you when you come up with an issue. How different were the different portfolio companies when you were involved, the CIO, COO? Were they all kind of starting to become similar or were they very different? Um, for, the, for the first fund, they were somewhat similar. Um, we did a lot of turnaround situations. Um, so companies that may have stalled out a little bit. So they all sort of had that theme that there needed to be some cleanup to go on. Um, so I, I think the the similarity there is you're trying to disrupt a lot of ingrained processes, procedures, things that are already there and, and they aren't working, right? Because the company is kind of stalled out um, or stagnant and, you know, we see an opportunity for growth. Um, you know, so a lot of them we tried to 
buy a platform and then sort of build the box around it. So, you know, build add on smaller acquisitions and stuff as needed. Um, so each one had a unique issue. Some might be a great product, but not a great sales team. So, you know, okay, how do we get the sales and marketing going? Um, likewise, some might have great market presence, but the product has fallen behind. They just, they got complacent on how their market presence, they didn't really develop the way they should. So now we got to attack the product feature. So, um, in terms of the high level that they were companies that need a little bit of a restart and they were technology, that's the same. I would say the problem we were facing or solving was a little different depending on each company. Mm, sure. How did you not get sucked into the operation so deeply that you'd be overwhelmed? I mean, it's, it's so hard for most COOs just to stay afloat when they're running one company, but when you're active in three or four simultaneously, how did you manage your time and projects and not get too deep into it? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something I'll be frank, I struggled with more the, um, am I doing a good job piece? Because I want to be fair to all the companies, you know, want to make sure, uh, well, I, I do think I was able to handle it all. It's like, could I be doing better if I had less going on or was able to focus on one or the other? Um, part of it was fortunately a time in my life when I didn't have a whole lot of else going on. So I could dedicate a lot of hours to the day and the weekends in it. Um, not to say that any COO doesn't put in uh, the extra hours by all means. Um, so I, and I also think it was the people that I was surrounded by. That was something I'm always a big believer in, right? Who, who do you work alongside? Who do you work with? Who do you work for? Um, and enabling them to kind of help out. So, you know, just making sure good communication, task management. Um, a big thing for me, especially coming from the tech space, is systems. So, you know, IT and software systems that you use to enable what we're trying to do. So we'd use those for either automation, information sharing and reporting so that, you know, I was able to kind of keep the pulse of, three or four companies at a time if I needed to. Um, you know, I think for the most part, four was the max. Tried to keep it more like down to two or three. Mm. Uh, and maybe two main companies and the third was kind of, I was sort of a halftime uh, job as needed. Um, but it, it, I don't know if there's any magic, I'm just organization. Organization and communication, I mean, which I think is the root of a lot of things, obviously. So what, yeah, what specifically do you learn there? Because I mean, you, you'd have to have been really organized. You'd have to have been on, on top of communication. So what were there specific systems or things that you've pulled from that that you now mm. utilize today? I think one of the biggest things was what to focus on. And that's something that even here at Drips that's come back to creep up and, and sort of, I don't want to say bite me, but I realized, oh man, I've gotten away from that a little bit. Um, you know, and going back to talking about the PE companies, there was a lot of change we wanted to make. And so you can see the list of stuff that, you, you know, you go in, you evaluate what's going on. You say, okay, here are the things we want to attack. Here's all the stuff we want to do. Um, you lay it out, plan it out. And I'm the type that just wants to go get it all done, right? I, I want to solve it all today. Uh, you know, I want that fixed. And so you dive into that piece, but then you obviously have this day-to-day -day activities, right? Things come up. You, you have problems with clients, you know, employee totally. issues, or you gotta, you gotta do hiring. I mean, budget's gotta get done. And trying to, I think, I don't know if it's triage, but pick and choose what the real important things are and what you have to say, I could do that right now and it might take five minutes, but if I push it off a week, that's not hurting anybody and that can wait. And, and the problem is it's not just one five-minute thing. It, it, it's, you know, you get 10, 15 in a day, and, before you know it, you've lost three hours and, and you need focused time to work on some of the bigger projects, right? Cause that, you know, you, you gotta get your mind, at least for me, I need to get focused on a little bit, get my position my mind about what I'm going to do on a certain project that I'm trying to get done longer term. And that was something when I came into drips, you know, there, there were all these systems we wanted to roll out, put in some new processes, help for scale. And that was great at first. And then I started to get more and more integrated in day to day, just, you know, coming on and, and people going to me for things, which is great. Um, 
but started getting hit with all these side day-to-day processes are taking me away and delaying me from my original goals of those projects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that recognition is what I've come up with is that, you know, from what I've seen in the past, it's like, okay, I need to sit down and say, all right, I need to make clear list. For me, it's, it's making clear lists of what my goals are for the projects, when I want to finish them by, and realistic. Um, that's something else I've been, I don't say struggle with, but have worked for. I, I would always shoot for the moon to a degree. Oh, yeah, I'll deploy Salesforce in six weeks. If I had just six straight weeks and was by myself, no problem, you know, but as you know, that, that's not the case, right? So it's, it's just having an honest conversation with myself, really, on what can be done. Obviously, there are a lot of other people that are involved in that process, so I have to, you know, include them as well. Sure. Um, but I think that's the biggest piece of the organization is just recognizing where I'm being too, too optimistic, where I'm letting things that could be less in priority get in the way. Um, and it sounds very simplistic when I talk about it right now, but just when I'm in the weeds and running, it, it's something that I don't always catch and see, um, but have recognized it earlier than I have in other experiences from my past experience. Yeah. Okay. I want to come back to all that stuff around focus and how you're picking those projects, but tell us a little bit about drips and yeah. kind of give us a, a bit of a background as to what the company does, how it operates. And then, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of dive in from there. Yeah, so Drips, uh, as you said in the intro there, it's a conversational uh, text messaging platform. Um, the idea behind it is obviously text messaging, I mean, I don't want to say it's nothing new, but it is somewhat of a new industry in general in the last few years here uh, for marketing purposes. This space in particular is really kind of wide open and it's something we're defining. The, the conversational piece of it, what I mean by that is a more humanized experience to the texting. I'm sure you've gotten the text of, hey, you know, 20% off at, at this company online or whatever, or hey, I saw you want a mortgage. Do you want to you know, buy from us or whatever? Something like that. Whereas we will take those leads and make a much more humanized conversation. You know, hey, Cameron, saw your insurance mortgage. Um, when can we talk about it? And it sounds much more like a human. You feel much more obligated to reply to it. And likewise, it's also if you say, hey, I'm at work or I'm in the middle of a podcast, we can then reply to that and say, okay, great. You know, how's later tonight? When, or tomorrow morning? Whereas a bot or some of the text messaging it's at now doesn't know how to handle that. It just, it just errors out more or less because it can't handle those responses. Um, so we're trying to make a, a much more interactive experience with people, uh, which leads to better conversion rates for the customer. So the idea is that our, our clients uh, pass us these leads. We text them. We work this, what we call campaigns, basically. And we try and get them to a phone call so that at some point we agree that, you know, Cameron, you will agree to call in about the mortgage that you wanted to apply for. And are you actually using humans to do this versus AI? No, so it is AI. Uh, for the most part, you know, there are a few, it's a small percentage that spill over to a human, re- a, you know, an actual human that we have. If the AI doesn't know what to do, it spills over and the human will answer. Um, but over 90% of it is AI. And I think that's where Drips kind of being the first in this space is just so far ahead because, I mean, you know, we claim, or we claim that the truth is we've had 200 million conversations and that's just not text. There's been over 500 million texts. It's actual conversing with someone back and forth. And you can imagine the intelligence that we, and more importantly, the AI system gets out of that. It learns the different languages people use, what emojis mean, you know, different ways you can, you can say and ask things. It knows how to look for different tones, if you will, in the text. Obviously, you can't hear tones, but if someone's angry, if someone's happy, if someone's excited you know, and ready to go. And then we can tailor the campaigns to likewise give responses that will help increase the conversion and the odds of getting a call back, basically. Interesting. How do you guys charge? How does your model work? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a few models. For the most part, it's price per lead. Um, so, you know, it, it basically, the, you dump us a number of leads. 
we text them out and then any ones we convert over, it's a price per lead model. And then depending on size and scale, that would be the price. Interesting. All right. Um, I want to talk to you offline and see if there's some work that you can do with us on the COO Alliance and also yeah. on um, a book that I've got, Meeting Suck, that people are buying hundreds of copies at a time. I cannot wait to read that book. That's the other problem I have is the amount of meetings and time wasted. Our, our, our CEO, AC, and I were talking about in the last couple of weeks. It's just, you know, they're important to a degree, but how do you get more efficient at them? How do you you know, just uh, my whole day, just meetings. But, well, they're, they're really important. And if you think that the average employee spends one to two hours a day, either in phone calls or oh, sorry, on phone calls, on video calls or in meetings, and we've never trained them on how to show up and participate and attend them, let alone yeah. how to run them. Very so cool. you think about our entire labor force is spending 12 to 25% of their day doing something we've invested nothing on. So if that was my whole purpose for writing the book, Meeting Suck, for 15 bucks, if you don't want to spend 15 bucks on the person, you shouldn't have them as an employee <laughs> in the first place, right? Fair. Yeah. No, um, so yeah, I want to talk to you offline, there might be some opportunities you guys could do for some marketing with me on that. Fair. So when did you get involved with Drips? What size was the company when you got involved? Yeah, so um, it was probably April of this year. Um, about 10 million revenue had... Um, you know, um, came in through a business partner of mine. They were looking, you know, they've, they've grown really fast, um, you know, double, triple over the years. Um, you know, it's kind of at a tipping point where they need to get some, get some scale, right? Um, the, what really attracted me here is there's great people here. And the problem, if you will, is everyone was in everything to a degree, right? As I'm sure you know, startup culture. I mean, you wear many hats, whatever it takes to get the job done. And, and everyone here was on board with that. It, it was great. But that's not scalable, right? You need some process. Totally. You, yeah. know, you need some. There were no real systems here about how do we mine. You know, they were all about mining data. Like they, they started getting the Power BI, and you know they understand the value in data. But you know the data was living in three or four different systems. I actually have a, a system map I can show you in terms of you know you had three or four disparate systems as opposed to a network link of different systems to get that data. You know, so you know what what customers you're converting, what ones are losing, where are we spending our dollars, where should we be spending our dollars. What do we think versus what we know and versus what we can prove, you know, making data-driven decisions. Um, and so that's kind of where I came in. That's something that I've done a lot of, again, using that sort of tech background that I've had to kind of implement them, combined with the business experiences that I've had in these sort of past roles to basically bring in and, and prepare the company for scale. And how many employees are in the company now? Um, so now I think we're probably about 50 or so. Um, when I was here in April, I think we're down about 30, so we ramped up. Just uh, three, four months here. And what's the what's the leadership team look like there? Um, in terms of uh, who, who, like, how many people on the leadership team who would be reporting into who? Just kind of uh, give us that. Uh, so we have our CEO um, AC, uh, CEO and co-founder. Likewise, our co-founder and CTO is Anthony Greco, and then um, our CSO, who's also part owner there, is uh, Tom uh, Martindale. And so Tom kind of runs the sales and corporate development side of things. Uh, Greco uh, and Tony runs our, all of our development. Um, and then I oversee sort of operations and client success along with um, marketing and finance. And then AC, he kind of, um, he's much more sort of helps out sort of dotted line to the marketing team. Um, you know, he's very much with the creative side. Uh, he and I work well together. What, what I love about everyone here is their openness to, to change and to feedback, right? It, it's something, especially when you've been successful, uh, you tend to want to do what you know and what keeps working. Um, and so when, and not that there's a lot that needs to change here, but they're constantly iterating and willing to try new things, um, whether it be something I suggest, you know, someone else suggests. 
Um, so it, it's really been a refreshing feeling to work with the team. I mean, I've worked with a lot of different leadership teams, but uh, this one seems to work well together. Again, you know, there's always the, the arguments, but the, the, the openness to change and willingness to listen, is, it's really refreshing. That's really cool. Tell us how you um, how you kind of spent your first 90 days there. I mean, you're just kind of even finishing that that period. What was it yeah. like going into this new company and, and what do you think you did well and, and what was your strategy going into this firm to get up to speed? How did you learn? How did you get to meet everybody? How did you um, kind of integrate yourself? What did you pull back on? Just give us that whole tour. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's I want to go in and listen first and foremost. I mean, I, I unfortunately, like I said, through PE, have a lot of experience, especially not taking over a company, but coming into a company that might need some change as, as we're kind of talking about here. So I never want to go with a playbook. I obviously have ideas and things I, I've, I've known in the past that work, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see is someone has been successful with something before and they immediately try and push that into a company that they're going into for a similar situation. Not to say it may not work, but I want to first hear from everybody what's going on, what are their thoughts on things, what's broken, what's working well, um, where can we do better? Obviously, get to know people, their skill sets and such. Um, so that was my first sort of 30 days or a couple weeks here was basically meeting and talking to anyone and everybody I could, um, having them show me systems, show me different processes that we have or don't have, um, talking about their frustrations, talking about things they think are doing well, talking about them personally, you know, what, what do they see, where do they see themselves going, what skill sets do they have, um, you know, what do they enjoy and not enjoy about it. Uh, and it's just, it's really listening mode for, for lack of a better term, take, taking any notes I can, um, start to build out a product, I'll say product, a process roadmap. So one for the, the system themselves, um, and then for what kind of processes we want to put in place, what ideas we want to do, um, you know, what themes bubble up the most, present that to leadership. So that's kind of the first few weeks ends in, the, in 30 days there. So all that listening talking to leadership. If there's any immediate things we got to get done, like this is critical, it's either killing the business or it's a red flag or something that came up, we'll obviously address those first and foremost. Um, but then it's coming up with sort of the 30, 60, 90, even 180 day plan from that point of how we're going to implement that. Uh, what's it going to look like? Are we all in alignment on it? Because that's the biggest thing. If I go off and start, you know, they, they say, okay, hey, we brought in Justin, he's, gonna, he's here to do all these things and you know, he's got this great experience and I go off down a path and they're not behind it. Um, you know, this, this organization or non-unity at the top is the biggest killer in any business um, or any process or anything you're trying to do. So getting that alignment from leadership uh, was a big, a big piece of it. And again, they, they were very open to it all. Um, got some great feedback from them, great ideas obviously, but for the most part it was, all right, let's try and run with this. Um, and then it's just going in and implement it. And that's where I think kind of alluded to earlier, the biggest thing I didn't factor in, which, you know, I, I learned from prior experiences, but, you know, didn't, didn't quite bring into my uh, mindset early enough was the optimism or just wanting to get it done too quickly. Uh, you know, roll out systems too quickly, roll out processes too quickly. So sure. uh, they haven't taken extremely long, but definitely longer than I would have liked and, and communicated. And I think the biggest thing that is owning that, you know, guys like, this, this is what happened. Just got too excited. Um, you know, here's kind of the new groundwork of plans. And, you know, fortunately people are, are understanding of that. And, you know, if you keep doing it, I'm sure they get sick of it. But for the most part, you get a, a my bad, if you will. Um, but we have been rolling out systems. You know, we're already starting to get more into uh, data-driven decisions. You know, before it was, oh, I think this, I think that. And now it's people coming to meetings with, okay, hey, I ran this analysis. I've ran this data. Look at what we can do, um, which is great. Um, it's less fire drills, you know, with everyone wearing many hats and, and jumping all around. 
you can get a lot of fire drills and something goes wrong or when you need something done. Um, and that still happens, you know, we're still rolling out some of those processes for sure. Um, but that's been kind of a, a big win to try and get some of those in place. And then the other big one that's been a big theme is communication and, and, and transparency. Um, you know, one of the resounding themes I got from this was that leadership just was not communicating. And it wasn't they were hiding anything. It was more just they're busy working too, right? The, the, all the leaders here, um, both, you know, top line leadership and second line leadership are very much in the weeds. They're grinders, um, you know, that they are in there working. And when you're head down and, and you know what's going on, you, and I'm guilty of it, sometimes you forget that, hey, I got to inform everybody else because we're all on the same team. And if I don't, we're not all going in the same direction, you know, then we're pulling at each other and, and can be going off there. So that's been something that we've been really focused on trying to open up. How do you, um, how do you get people to start moving towards the data-driven decisions? I think it's showing the value in it. Um, for one, well, first and foremost, it's making the data as easily available as possible, right? So connecting systems. Um, I, I tend to use a Salesforce model just because everything easily connects into that. So, you know, best of breed systems but tied back to Salesforce. Um, and then if need be, connect into a system like a Power BI or something. But I think the value is showing them, you know, all right, team, we were looking at Take pricing, for example, you know, you asked about pricing earlier. Pricing is something that we were kind of reevaluating. We had a lot of pricing models, a lot of different ways of doing it. Um, and our, our CSO, Tom, came up with a price per lead just to simplify it for a lot of reasons, easier for us, easier for our clients. It you know, made total sense. Uh, but the question is, how do you then determine what is the price per lead? Now we've gone from you know, three or four different models and ideas to now this price per lead. Uh, how do we do that? And, you know, People had different ideas on what the price per lead should be. And I think it should be this. I think it should be this. And then the idea behind it is coming in and saying, all right, guys, well, look, we've put all of our historical data into Power BI. We've, we, uh, we have verticals and categorization of customers, industries, all that. And we can break it down by, you know, okay, here's this industry and this vertical in terms of, you know, type of company that's here. And here's their average price per lead versus look at this one. This is their vertical, this is their volume, and here's their price per lead. And I think what it did is it showed them that, a, it might not just be a blanket answer, and B, that while they had a good gut check on certain things, there were some others that we either would have had a big miss um, in a good or a bad way. You know, we, we would have priced per lead and said, oh, we would have been way under. We didn't realize that they were a smaller volume but a much higher price per lead, mm. or somebody else is a much higher volume and a lower price per lead. So um, I think that's the nice part about data, right? Not to say it's always black and white, um, and you can certainly make data say whatever you want to some degree. Yeah. I'm sure you're familiar with that, but... Uh, I think that was it. Try and make it simple and something everyone can, everyone can understand pricing. And it's, you know, they can understand that we were all thinking one way, but look at just what the data and the history says. And not to say that data is a paramount answer. It doesn't mean we can't still deviate from that, but at least we're going from a baseline of truth or something in reality versus people's guts, which not to ever ignore your gut. That is always actually, it's a valuable tool in any business, but uh, you know, it's nice to have some backing behind it. When you, um, when you came into Drips, did you notice any people issues and did you ever, did you have to make any of the tough decisions around people? Yeah. So that was, that was something else that, that kind of came up is, um, how do we evaluate people? Something that was missed here. And even the, the, one of the biggest things from the employees were we don't get feedback as much as we'd like or ever really. And, and, you know, so there was no review system. There was no, They've tried to do goal settings and kind of OKRs and it, it sort of just became a dreaded thing because it, it wasn't really done right. And I think part of that was just focus again, just people didn't have the time on it. There wasn't a uniform uh, committed effort to it to a degree and uh, it became a negative. And so on the people side of it, 
you know, that was one of my questions is, okay, what are some of the employee reviews? What have we seen in terms of people's goals versus what they've hit and not hit? Um, what are their skill sets versus what are their kind of job descriptions to a degree or what we are trying to get them to do? And not a lot of that was in place. Um, again, you know, same to answer startup culture. That, that's, that's not surprising. Uh, so a lot of it was, okay, first and foremost, we've got to figure out a way to set some goals here, set up a process to give the employees feedback, um, you know, make it so that a, they can improve, but also we can see, all right, do we know if someone's doing well or not? Um, cause again, with, with lack of data, you know, we can't say, Hey, you know, if you're in client success, we can't say, okay, you've done a great job with a hundred and two percent or hundred percent retention of your revenue and you've grown another 10% here. Um, you know, they had that somewhat. And, and again, it was actually probably more impressive than I seen for from some companies. Um, but it was nothing formalized and it was not at a regular cadence. So the, the ability to kind of evaluate the employees and any problems that we might have was not as easy as, or as normal, if you will, as I might expect to, to a, as I might have, well, I would want to do it at a, at a company. So part of that was putting that in place. Um, you know, there have been a few that just through discussions and focus, it was either just trying to get someone to refocus on something that they may have missed or, you know, realize unfortunately just it might not be a fit. But um, I think going forward, that was one of our biggest things. We, we actually have a big working session uh, for the whole team. Uh, I think in two weeks around goal setting, you know, making a priority, showing that, you know, leadership is 100% on board with this, that we're going to take the time to do this and be able to give, give that feedback to employees, set those goals, um, and make this something that is important, uh, both for them, because, you know, we also want to give them appropriate time for professional development. You know, you never want to be a shock, right? If you're at the point where someone's a problem and it's a shock to everyone, to me, the leadership didn't do their job. You know, they, they didn't for let sure. them know, they didn't train them, they didn't talk to them. Um, and so I think that was something that was kind of a miss that we're, you know, we're looking to put in place. So you, you mentioned about communication and transparency. So can mm. you give us some specific things that you do or systems that you use to have better communication and better transparency with the team? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of basic things, like they used to have an all hands, um, which I think it was once a quarter maybe and the feedback I got, oh, it gets missed a lot or it gets rescheduled because of people's business travel. And first thing was, all right, all hands once a month, we're doing it no matter what. Um, and, and we've had that, you know, we, we even had some business travel that we worked around and, um, you know, we're very open and transparent. That, that's probably our, our primary source to get sort of bigger announcements out. Um, we're very transparent in that meeting about what's going on, um, whether it be employee changes, um, new product strategy, fundraising, um, what Kevin, our awesome executive chef, is making in the kitchen that week. I mean, it, it, uh, everything and everything kind of comes out in that meeting. Hopefully new systems that are rolling out. Um, issues we've encountered. Um, the second thing we did was we put in a uh, employee, I'll call it employee engagement tool. Um, I've used a bunch of these over the years. This one's somewhat new. It's called Engagedly. Um, uh, I really like it so far. I mean, like anything, right? That there's things you wish it did more of, but it's got some great features. Um, it takes regular product survey, not product survey, employee surveys. Um, so once a week, we send out a survey. It could be. How do you like the all hands? What do you think of our benefits package? Um, you know, how's the work environment at Drips? I mean, anything and everything. And um, Katie, our, our head of HR here, we actually have a meeting later today. We meet about it once a week. We review right. it. Um, the, 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 the information you get out of there, because we let people submit anonymously. We encourage them to put their names so we can follow up, but we let them submit anonymously. The information you get compared to what you think you might know is just, it's so invaluable. It's something I've done before, but never at this regular cadence. Um, and I found it just a great tool. I mean, it, you know, for the, 
half hour, hour day we spend reviewing it. And then whatever corrections we get out of that, that we take, um, it's just invaluable. And we also, so we share the results with the team at the all hands meeting. Again, we, you know, not every last one, but we show them kind of what thematically was there, the good and the bad. Hey, hey, you all kind of seem to like what we did here really well. You think we missed the mark here. Um, also a chance for education. Um, we did one on benefits and one of the complaints was that we didn't let them know early enough about the change. We were changing our benefits, which healthcare costs change. And that wasn't a function of us not letting them know. Since we only get the renewal three weeks before the time is there and healthcare costs always go up. That's just the nature of healthcare. Um, so we let them know as soon as we did, but obviously two to three weeks is not a lot of planning for the average person to kind of do some rebudgeting. And so one of the things that's a good takeaway for me was, all right, we may not know the amount that we're going to be able to change, but we could have said to you, you know, two months ago, look, our healthcare renewal is coming up. It's almost guaranteed whether we change or not, your costs are going to go up. Our costs are going to go up. That's the nature of healthcare. I would prepare for X percent change in your check. You know, and that way they at least have a heads up coming in. Um, it's a small thing, but it's one of those things that just, you know, it helps employee satisfaction, um, you know, helps them plan their lives. One less thing they hope they have to worry about. So um, it's some things like that. And, and company culture has come up in there. Um, you know, going on about the survey thing. I've just, I've no, really, great. I've really liked it. Um, and then going back to the software, some other things it has is um, it has goal setting. So employees can uh, put both company goals. So we put our company goals and our values in there, and then they can put it in for the company, for the department and for the individual employee. Um, we will do bi-weekly meetings with the employees. We do, we do a biannual review. So a formal review twice a year. But we require bi-weekly meetings and then engagedly, you can just put little notes in there. It could be a five minute meeting. Um, but as you can imagine, to do a review, you know, every six months, it's hard to remember uh, what did that person do really well or what didn't they do well. Just the point of the, the bi-weekly meeting. Get a quick update. If you need to, put some notes in there. You know, hey, Joe crushed that project that he assigned him on. You know, um, remember to do this at the, at the end interview. Or, you know, Justin, he's doing a great job. Maybe we can get him some professional development um, on this topic here. Um, so it logs that, which is great. It does all weighting and everything if you want to do scoring. Um, and then there's a couple other tools that it keeps points. So we can, uh, you know, if you do surveys, we also have Drips University that's on there. has an LMS system in there. It's pretty robust. And great Super question. cool. Yeah. So we started, that was something I, I put in place here. Um, when I came in trying to learn the products, you know, learning the vernacular here, learning, learning our sales process. Um, there was no formalized way to do that. A lot of people I could talk to. But so we started putting in these strips universities where people could, you know, five, six minute videos with two or three quiz questions at the end, just to make sure you're kind of paying attention. And the idea being, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. You could be in dev and sales uh, and operations, marketing. You need to know about the product. And likewise, you might have good ideas about the product, about how we sell the product, about how we market the product. Um, so we started doing those once a week. You get assigned a course. Everyone in the company, doesn't matter who you are, uh, takes the course. Um, and again, it's meant to be short, not take a lot of time and just give you information. And likewise, we want feedback on it. So if you didn't like how the course was presented, if we could have given you more info, or if you have ideas on something that was presented that can contribute to the growth of the business, let's hear about it. Um, and then all these things also have a point system that you get assigned and you can trade those in for like drift swag or gift cards and stuff. Awesome. Just kind of, just kind of help. So it, yeah, like I said, I've used a bunch of tools and I'm sure you've, you know, different tools have these, but this one for the value and the dollar spend, it's been great. Um, it has a, a main discussion, not a main discussion board, like, like a homepage board. So we use Slack, which uh, I have my own personal feelings on Slack and the notifications I get, but stuff gets lost in Slack as I'm sure you can imagine. And so it's got a nice uh, 
board that can, we can post things. So like office renovation, company picnic, uh, new expense policy, just things you want to hang out for a little while. So if you think about it as an old water cooler board, I imagine back in the day, it's kind of one of those things. Um, so just got some nice engagement tools that so far have really gone a long way. And again, constantly trying to tweak and get employee feedback on how we can do better at that. That's great. Do you, um, do you use a tool like that for customer to learn from your customers as well? Yeah, so that, that, that's a, a great question. It's something we haven't really done. Um, we have account managers and something we're putting in now is more client success managers. So their job would be to more do the QBRs and everything. We are rolling out a new um, case system through Salesforce, basically supporting Ticket Tool. And with that will come a company, excuse me, a, a customer portal. So we'll probably look to integrate something like that. They're talking about a way to collect feedback, um, maybe MPS scores, yeah. Yeah, take a look at one called Client Heartbeat. Client Heartbeat? Yeah, a bunch of our members of this. Uh, so we run an event called the COO Alliance, which is the only network of its kind in the world for second mm -hmm. commands. And, and a bunch of the COO Alliance members use Client Heartbeat Great. And, uh, and quite like it. No, oh, thank you. I will definitely yeah. check that out. Might be worth looking at. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I love what you're doing, though, on the, on the employee NPS side. What, do you know what your employee net promoter score is? Not yet. We haven't put out a formal one. Um, like I said, just as we've kind of gotten these things rolling, um, and I guess probably do a baseline, but we've not put out a full MPS effort yet. Just trying to get some of these in place. But do the baseline. I do need to do the baseline. No, the baseline. I, right. I have all the, uh, all the CEOs and COs that I coach. I have all, and all of our clients in the CEO Alliance. We try to get everyone to do it twice a year, and I'm just doing mine right now. Um, and just pick two points six months apart and just I can roll the survey out and yeah. see what happens, right? I like it. It's worth doing it just to get, and again, that baseline. And then what I do is I ask, you know, one question on a scale of one to 10, how enthusiastically would you recommend this is a place to work? And then on the thank you page, I say, what's one thing we could do that would have you give us a, a higher rating next time? I like it. Simple and information just, you need. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, you know, the list of Santa Claus, right? Like if, <laughs> if they say this is all the stuff they want, if we just give them that, then it's, it's easier than us trying to figure it out. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Um, what, what LMS are you guys using for your, uh, your internal learning? You said you had an LMS set up. So actually that uh, engagedly, engagedly includes that. Um, oh, it does. Yeah. Again, it, it's not the most robust of them, but it, you know, it does videos, it does the quizzes, it does tracking and stats. Um, you really get a lot for that tool for, for the money. Again, if, if you want something deeper, that, that's another story, but for our needs, it's pretty good. That's really cool. Um, any other technology tools that you guys use? Um, in general or just in terms of employee engagement? No, in, in general in the company. Ah, I got you. So yeah, we, we, um, we committed to rolling out Salesforce. That's, uh, that's been rolled out and we're kind of in the process of really solidifying it. You know, the, I don't hear this thing. Salesforce is God to a degree. If, it, if it's not in there, it didn't happen. Um, and that's mostly not because we want to drown people in data management. It's, it's, that's how we get insights and we're able to figure out where we're we spending our time, right? You know, if, if we, how are our trials converting? And so pre previously we were in, three different systems that weren't really talking together. So now everyone will kind of be both sales, client success, and we have um, kind of our operations team, which helps sort of build our campaigns and works with the customers and that such. Um, that will all be logged into Salesforce. Um, likewise, on the marketing side, we've rolled out um, Pardot um, uh, that's coming off the line now. Uh, social Studio, um, trying picking up our social media. Um, on the dev side, tools like uh, Azure, uh, and VSTS for, for DevOps there. Um, I'm trying to think what else we, uh, we got here. 
you you kind of mentioned something on Slack, and then you just kind of let it get away a little bit. So <laughs> I want to dive in around that, and let's let's throw them under the yeah. too. So what what's your feelings around Slack? So it, it's something I struggle with, and here's what I mean: communication is key, right? I mean, you know, that's a critical piece. You want people to communicate. You want you want to make sure everyone is 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 passing the information they need. Uh, collective intelligence. I mean, that's what I'm sure the CEO Alliance is all about. You know, mind sharing. And Slack is a great enabler of that. Um, but there's also the other side of, is it too much of a distractor? You know, every little thought that pops in your head, you're slacking. Or are you sending GIFs and memes all day long? Don't get me wrong. No one would ever accuse me of being overly professional. I have a good time as much as anybody. Um, but to a degree, is it, you know, every 10 seconds, my Slack thing is popping up. And, you know, it's partly on me to, you know, either tune that down or mute the, mute the uh, issues or whatnot. Um, but does it break up the, the focus of work is, is my question. And then likewise, what gets missed in there? You know, we have a lot of uh, yeah. customer channels and things like that. And if a customer problem's coming up or someone in sales is trying to figure out, hey, what's the best strategy here? And, and you just miss stuff, um, you know, and then someone replies and it gets, it gets pushed up in there and you don't see it. And, um, so I don't think it's necessarily a Slack problem per se, um, but uh, you know, it's just, that's the one that's always in my face about it. But how do you balance that? We've got to be able to share. We've got to be able to keep what is important in our face and what isn't. We can let that kind of you know, go down in the message history there. And um, So again, I, I was not approving uh, Slack necessarily. It's just, it's just that kind of dilemma, which I'm sure is not a new one. No, it's not a new one. And we're hearing a lot of um, kind of commentary around that. Again, at the CEO Alliance at our last event, we covered um, a lot around technology tools. And one of the discussion items was how do we get people to do their work instead of staying in Slack all day? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there is a lot of time being, being wasted. It's a great communication tool. It is for sure. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it's, it's also training people on how to use the tool effectively and efficiently, right? Where we often don't give them that training. We just assume they know how to use it. And, and they yeah, that's a great point. Go back to what you said about meetings, right? It's, it's things we just assume people know how to do, like communicate. Um, they do, but they might not know the most effective way. Just like they might know an effective way to come to a meeting and prepare it. it, it it's a great point. We've got to spend yeah. that time to train. So early, earlier on, you talked about um, just knowing what to focus on and, and picking the core things to focus on. So what do you have a system that helps you do that? And, and have you taught your team how to kind of prioritize the core projects or core initiatives to focus on? Yeah, I, mean, I think, so. again, something I think it's constantly evolving. I would not say I have come close to perfecting or, or even a, a great system in that nature. I think the biggest thing for me... Um, especially at the, the operations level, you know, CEO kind of overseeing a lot of different departments and areas is I need to see what's going on. I need to know what everyone's working on. Not because I want to be micromanaging them. It just helps me make decisions. Likewise, even if you're leading a department, you want to know what other departments are working on because a lot of uh, interconnectivity there. So I, I think one of the biggest things is just a project management tool. Um, I've used teamwork a lot in the past or, you know, like a tool like Monday or something. And so um, that's something we are putting a focus on right now is teamwork and getting everyone to put all of their projects in there, all of their tasks in there. Likewise, we even want to track some time in there. Again, not that we're worried people aren't working. It, it's that data and insights into, are we spending too much time on stuff? Are people in meetings too long? Are people trying to do a task too much on their own when they could have asked for help and got it done in a quarter of the time? Mm. And that would have been a valuable use of, let's just say they didn't want to ask me because they thought my time was too busy, but if I can get you down to a quarter less time, like that's worth my investment. Um, 
So I think that's the first piece. And then it, it's, it's to a degree sticking to that saying, all right, look, realistic, ideally we'd get this project done in the next two weeks. We got to factor in that there's going to be going to be some things that are going to come from, from out of nowhere that we got to deal with a problem that comes up, something we got to solve with. So we got to factor in an extra four to five days here. And then it's sticking to, and for me, it's sticking to those deadlines and those projects. And when the ones that come up, and this one, I, I haven't found a good way to articulate this one, just knowing which things as they come up that are kind of the, uh, the, the whack-a-mole, if you will, which ones the moles can kind of stay up for a while and I'm not going to hurt anyone or slow anyone down, versus which ones the ones I got to hammer down right now and I, I can use that kind of allocated over budget time, if you will, to hit them. Um, and I, and, and that's where I'd love to, I need a better way to express that and to kind of help train people on that. I mean, for me, I rely on experience, if you will, but I know, all right, that, that's okay to sit or that's okay to, that needs to get hit right now. But um, I haven't found a great way to say, hey, here's a good formula for that. Interesting. Yeah, the, um, it's hard because there's so many competing priorities on people's time and on yeah. business areas time. The reason I've, I've kind of tried to figure out why IT and marketing always seem to be behind on their projects. The other business, <laughs> well, and the, and the other business areas always seem to be able to stay on track more. Yeah. And, and I think it's because most business areas forget to tell IT or forget to tell marketing that they're going to be needed in certain projects. Yeah, that's a great point. So IT has their list of priorities. They plan out their quarter. And then the CEO comes running in and goes, oh, can you just bake this into blah, blah, blah? Or can you just integrate this into the whatever? And or can you pretty this up with marketing or can you tie this in? And you don't go to finance that often with, hey, can you do's? You know, you don't go to customer service. So we don't really hit these other business areas with all these random ideas. So I'm now trying to get IT and marketing to only book their calendar out to 60% of their day and 60% of their week mm, and leave themselves to have all that buffer time available. So if you have 40 hours of project work to, to get something to launch, it really is going to take you 60 hours to get there because of all the other shit we're going to throw on your plate. Yeah. Um, and that seemed to become helpful. And um, have you done anything like that at all? We haven't yet. Um, as I said, I think this is, this is this problem we're discussing is something that, you know, for myself, I've kind of realized probably in the last month that I need to get better at. It. And it's something uh, talking about with our, our CEO that we've realized collectively, we need to do a better job of, of helping everyone else with it, you know, and maybe it is something like you're talking about. All right, people need to book only to a certain percentage of time because you've just got to prepare for that buffer zone. Um, you know, whether it be you weren't told or it's, it's a firestorm or something that, you know, a customer just has to have a project done or something. Um, and, you know, we're willing to do that, but, um, that's something we are literally in the mix of and have meetings on right now. Right. I love the suggestion, quite frankly. Thank yeah. You. It's <laughs> just been working. We tried it a couple of years ago and it seems to be working on a few clients now. Tell me about what you've learned or what your insights were around PE. I mean, PE seems to be that kind of mystical world of, <laughs> um, you know, we, we hear a lot about venture capital firms and how yeah. to market to them and talk to them and work with them and deal with them, but we don't hear much about the PE side. Can you, can you give us some insights there? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that prior to uh, business school, which is kind of what, where I made that transition from the IT firm that I own to PE. PE was this mystical thing. I didn't really know what it was. I mean, I was more just venture capital sounded cool because I like entrepreneurship. I like working, wearing many hats. Um, I like working in different companies. So venture capital sounded like a great way to go. I mean, like knowing nothing about how to get into that. I mean, in a business sense, but um, in my career advisor at school actually said, well, what about private equity? You know, it's, they're a little more established businesses. 
Um, you could probably utilize your skill set because I didn't have any traditional investment banking background, but I had this really robust technology and operations background. They like, you could probably utilize that into the right PE firm. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing with PE is it's everyone has a, what you care about, right? It's almost like selling to a, to a client or a customer. What is their problem or their pain point? You know, for PE, different funds have different things they want to track. Some are just there to invest in a specified portfolio. We want X number of tech companies, X number of retail, um, you know, X number of services companies, whereas others want just turnaround situations. Others want ones where they don't have to put any operational effort into, you know, companies that are, that are, that are doing well. Um, what really surprised me the most, and I don't know why I laugh at the mystical thing, like I always thought there would be this great process behind it, great workflow, great, okay, here's how you diligence a company, here's the way it goes, you know, and, and not to say there isn't, I mean, there's diligence done, there's a lot of discussions done, but, you know, the, the, the decision can come down to, you know, just people arguing over it and what, not their opinions, but, you know, bringing the right facts here and, you know, no one's just obviously making these decisions on a whim, but it was interesting because how much of it, to say it's the Wild West would be a terrible, terrible classification of it, but just lack of formality, I think, would be the word. Um, and again, I don't want to sound too unfair to it. Like, there is plenty of, there's plenty of diligence being done and, and you know, checkboxes being made. Obviously, a lot of money is being invested here, but just that you know, anything goes. And it's also a good thing in a way, too, because you know, I started PE as an intern out of grad school, and they even listened to my opinion. You know, when they were making investments, it was like, all right, what do you think, Justin? It's like, all wow. right all you know about me is I'm an intern. So, you know, it does not say that they ever took my advice necessarily, but at least they listened. And, and I think that is what surprised me the most, just the amount of inputs and talk they take. And the word we use all the time, which, you know, I think I saw on your side, was collective intelligence, right? Like get me smarter on this industry, get me smarter on this company. Um, I want to know everything I possibly can. Um, Cause we can look at, we can look at projections and financial statements and all of that. But you know, what are the external factors? Where can we go with it? What's the growth plan? Um, I think that's what kind of was most interesting to me, the amount of work that went into that kind of collective intelligence build yeah, that's cool. there. Yeah. How about if we were selling to a PE firm, what's the one or two things we should do to get the maximum valuation to sell into a PE firm? Yeah. Um, again, it's a little bit of, it depends on kind of what the PE firm is looking for, right? There's no magic that all PE firms are looking, I mean, all PE firms are looking to make money. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing nothing special. Some it's more, again, just what industry they're looking at. Um, some will be recurring revenue, right? I want to see what you have for recurring revenue. Some want to be, you know, making sure you don't have too high a customer concentration. Others won't care about your customer concentration. Um, you know, some want no services, some like services because they make you more sticky. Um, and again, I, I'm probably referring a lot more to software because that's just where my, my background mostly is in PE. But uh, I, I think there's no, and I think that, I think that's the one danger we see in PE actually. I'll, I'll say that it's, we'll talk to companies or we'll talk to investment bankers who talk to companies and they're like, Oh yeah, they were trying to really, they really took the company in this direction over the last year and a half to prepare themselves to sell the PE. And I, I think that's probably the biggest mistake that companies mistake. can make. They, they try and fit what they need to do or what they're doing to sell to a private equity firm. When that kind of gets them off course, it might take them away from their core competency. They do something a little uncomfortable with. Whereas that's smart. You, if you do what you're good at, what got you to where you are, there will be a PE firm that wants you. That's you, know, you won't be applicable to everybody, and that's okay, right? It's, it's like dating. I mean, 
Just keep building, keep building the best company you can. Yeah. And then you will definitely find the one that is right for you and and will want you, or maybe it's a few companies, but I think that's, that's probably the best advice I give is don't try and fit to what you think PE wants. Um, Obviously if you need to do some improvement, do it, but you know, don't, don't try and fit to something else. All right. Final, final question. If you could talk back to the, or not talk back, but if you could give some advice to the 21 year old, Justin Miller, the (laughs) 21 year old kind of getting started in his career out of college, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I think the, the two would be, don't be afraid of being uncomfortable. You know, I think I, I tended to shy more towards things I knew. Um, and not to say that I'm looking to, you know, go bungee jump off a cliff, but it's, it's okay to be in uncomfortable situations that, that leads to success. And then the second would be um, networking. I mean, it, it's, I, I always joke, I'm the one that doesn't like to talk to people. I mean, I, I very much enjoy the value of network and, you know, even like you talk about the CEO Alliance, being able to have people you can bounce ideas off of, problems off of, and that is so invaluable. Um, so both in your career, in your job, being able to succeed, networking is key. Uh, and when I say networking, relationship building is really what I mean. Um, or likewise, if you're looking to move around. So I think that was something I always shied away from. I kind of, especially in the tech space, I, I relied on, hey, I know this tech, let me just stay in here and um, just be a little more open to, you know, what, what's uncomfortable, which was for me, which is networking and, and relationship building. And, but it's, it's just such a key thing. In any business, any industry, I can't think of something where it's not, you know, paramount to have and do. That's awesome. Justin Miller, the Chief Operating Officer of Drips, thanks very much for sharing with us on the Second in Command podcast. Great, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, this is great. Thank you. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.